and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast being recorded the day after City's uh, 3-1 victory at West Ham United. Uh, my name is Ian Cheeseman, all things City. This is uh, to about an hour or so and we've got a special guest coming up later on and that will be Bob Taylor. Um, he played for Gillingham in the 1999 playoff final, which seems like a lifetime ago now. There will be a certain generation for which that game is still such and such a special game. Um, and will never be forgotten. And there'll be a new generation now, of which one of my guests today um, applies, uh, who weren't really around then. And um, so therefore that game means nothing to them, though, unless they they may have seen it on TV. So maybe this will be a little bit of a history lesson, um, because Bob Taylor played for Gillingham. Um, and then the following season, he was signed by City and played for City for a season. Didn't work out as well as he'd wanted, injuries and all sorts of stuff. And he's very frank in the interview about the sort of stick that he got, uh, you know, that when he was there. He wasn't, I wouldn't say, it's unfair to say a pep player wasn't popular. Um, and, and you can read between the lines here, but, it, you know, he got, he, got, he got some stick, right? But he talks about that and he talks about how he dealt with it and how all that, that whole time went. So it's a fascinating interview. I hope you'll... Um, enjoy it a little bit later on. Um, but for now, um, my two guests today, rather confusingly, are Adam and Adam. <laughs> um, so I don't know how we're going to refer to you two. Um, Adam one, Adam two and all that. But then, then you know, who gets the Adam one, who gets the Adam two? So I'm going to call them Adam W and Adam P. <laughs> if Good we, idea, go for that. <laughs> we need to refer to them by name. Um, it's better than old Adam and young Adam. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, um, so thanks very much, guys, for for joining me. Um, obviously, the City uh, West Ham game is is our starting point after the international break and the emerging talent that is Doku. Now, I was behind the goal at, at West Ham, quite high up, and I had a superb view of Doku cutting in at the beginning of the second half and scoring at that goal. And he, what, what one thing I have seen in the the debates since that game is that he offers something slightly different. Um, first of all, he was playing in a position where normally Jack Grealish would play, who's injured at the moment. And Grealish uh, has a tendency to go down the line a little bit and then cut back and lay the ball back to somebody on the edge of the box, whereas Doku seemed to be more prepared, certainly in his second appearance, because I know he made one appearance where he was perhaps a little bit more cautious. I think he admitted that himself. But in this occasion, we saw him run and take on and cut back and cross and all the rest of it. So I suppose a good starting point really is to give us your assessment, albeit on only two games and whatever you've seen on TV when he's been playing for in and for Belgium. But let's start with Adam W. What what, what do you make of Doku then? Is he the new star? I'm, I'm really excited about him. Um, I've been hoping for us to get a proper winger for a few years now. I mean, those years of the false nine, you know, people can say that it was the most perfect Pep team that, that Pep could possibly put together. But for me, I like a bit of jeopardy, the, the possibility of losing the ball, taking on a man and really going for it. You know, my favourite City team is is one with, start with Sane, Stern and Aguero because it did have that electric pace um, that the teams of the past few years have been lacking. We got a bit more excitement with bringing in strikers like, Alvarez and Haaland last year. And I think now we're taking it up a notch uh, with bringing in Doku. I, at the first game, I didn't think he played very well. There was a couple of snippets where he took on his man I was really excited about. 
but he lost the ball a good few times and I was a bit disappointed. But I mean, it's the first game, you know, sometimes it takes a year for someone to settle in with Pep. So I wasn't worried by that. I just thought oh, he didn't have such a great game. Yesterday, I thought it was, was much better. Um, again, he's always going to lose the ball every now and again because he takes risks. Um, it's going to take him time to get used to the system. But in terms of what we already knew about him, um, we've seen that, you know, we've seen that he, he runs at people. Um, he's showing himself um, in the game, you know, a couple of great take-ons. Obviously, the goal was there, but there was other chances as well where he's he's took on his man and put the ball across the box and Haaland probably should score the one at the far post. Um, and it, it was really promising and a player that I'm really excited to see more of. Um, down, luckily down my wing and my corner at the Etihad um, uh, when he's, uh, hopefully when he plays on the right, maybe. Um, it, it's going to be exciting to watch. So I'm really excited about him and I think he can be that bit of difference when uh, we're playing against a low block and we're struggling to pass our way through. Sometimes it takes a bit of magic and hopefully he's got that. That's the question then. Is he going to play on the left? Is he going to play on the right? In this particular instance against West Ham, he played on the left. He's naturally right-footed, so mm. therefore the inverted winger system seems to suit that. But that, as I say, is where Jack Grealish has been playing. And despite all of the talk since he arrived um, of Grealish maybe being a natural number 10 or playing in different positions... Um, he's rigidly, that is Pep and or Jack Grealish, because we don't know how much influence he has in that decision, has stuck rigidly to playing out wide on the left as the left-sided attacker. So, um, I mean, obviously there's Bernardo, the, you know, there's there's other options on the right-hand side. Phil Foden can play play over there. I know he can play right across the line. He can play left, left-footed left side or left-footed, right-side cutting in, but where does Doku... What, what would you prefer? Do you see Doku now as a as a threat to Grealish? Yeah, I think so. Um, although I think he provides something different. So I think Pep, when he has both fit, will probably look at the opposition and think, are we, are we best with pure control that Grealish will give you and the knowledge that he's never going to lose the ball? Or do you need a bit more magic and a bit of unpredictability. So I think it's they'll complement each other. I think that's how he'll pitch it to both players as well. He'll just say, well, you know, you, you are two different players. Um, so whatever the game demands, I will pick the person that, that suits that. So hopefully it'll be a matter of um, them getting sort of balanced time on the left. And then, you know, you, you could move Doku onto, onto the right um, if there's a space available there for him. You know, he started there last weekend, from what I remember, then he switched them pretty early on, him and Foden. Um, so maybe they decided that he can't play very well there, who knows, but it was very very short time. So hopefully he can play on both wings anyway, and then that gives Grealish a chance to pop in on the left and play Doku on the right. But yeah, I think, I think they're more likely to just provide different answers uh, to different opposition rather than one be out in the cold and, and one playing all the time. It certainly was exciting at West Ham and, and I'm always a little wary of judging any player until you've seen him play sort of 10 games or so um, and jump into too many conclusions. I've made that mistake many times in the past. But we've seen him a couple of times now, Adam P. What what did you make of Doku and how significant is he to City? Yeah, I agree with everything that uh, Adam's just said, really. I think he's, he's definitely very different from the way Grealish plays. But I think with the way Grealish plays... He, it seems to me it must be at, at the specific instruction of Pep. You know, Pep's the one, surely, that's telling him always to cut inside and to keep the ball and to play in that way. So I imagine it's just another string to the to the bow, really. And, 
if you think about it from the opposition's point of view, how you know the the more variety that Pep has at his disposal, how do you prepare in the in the run up to a game against City? I mean, you just don't know who's going to play, what style of player it is, what what side each one of them's going to play on. Like you said, you got Phil, you got Bernardo. They play central. They play you know wide. It it just makes it impossible to to plan to play against City. I think. And the other main point I would say is Pep reinvents himself every year. You know, we, we were playing with four centre-halves at the end of last season. And then what does he do? He sells Laporte. He gives Kyle Walker a three-year contract and makes him captain. So I don't think even necessarily Pep knows yet how he's going to finish this season. He will tweak it and tweak it and tweak it. He always does this the first few months of the season until he he settles on a more settled formation, more settled regular lineup. Um, so we just that's that's part of the joy of watching City in it these days. That's actually a very insightful comment that because th- this reinvention that he does, you know, um, uh, and and almost you don't know quite what, what direction he's going to go in. Uh, I mean, as you were answering that question, my next question was going to be: two years ago, City tended to rotate the squad a lot. Last season, it seemed to me it was a little bit more fixed and I didn't know whether that was a conscious thing or just a forced thing. And the, the thought was going through my mind as to when um, Stones is back, when De Bruyne is back, when if we get to the point where everybody's fit, how does he fit all this in? Because, you know, Kovacic didn't play yesterday. The, you know, we saw the debut of the third new signing briefly. You know, do you... When you talk about evolving, Adam, do you talk about even that part of it? You know, City using the full squad as opposed to starting to have a, a regular eleven, and you can be a bit more predicting about. Yeah, I think he does that every season. I think he, you know, at the start of the season, it's a lot of it will just be based on fitness, who's coming back when, from what tournaments, and so on. And he and he tends tends to share it all out a bit more, or it's a little bit more random to the to the outside eye. But at the end of every season, you always come into February, March when it's the big time, big time games. And at that point, that's when he's refined it. That's when he plays. You know, we always hear as well, it's always about the players that he trusts, isn't it? So that's trust to to follow his system or, you know, to do exactly what he wants them to do. Um, and I, I just think, I just feel like everyone starts with a blank sheet of paper at, at the start of the season. And he just decides, he just decides where he's at as he goes through the season. By the end of the season, again, He'll have a fixed 11, probably, but we don't know what it'll be yet. I mean, there's going to be 60-odd games, isn't there, this season, if we we keep playing like we always do. So, everyone's going to get some game time. Yeah, very true. What what do you think, Adam? Adam W. This is where the Adam P, Adam W comes in. (laughs) What what, what do you think? I I agree. I think, like you say, there's so many games to, to play over a season that things are obviously going to change and... If you'd have said to me at the start of last season that we'd end it by winning the treble with four centre-halves on the pitch, you're thinking, what? There's no way we'd do that, you know? Um, famously, Guardiola's saying, oh, I'd love to have like 11 Fernandinho's, but then he then turns to big, strong, solid centre-backs instead of instead of full-backs. Um, I think the reason why we ended up with so few players playing in the middle and towards the end of last season is so few had adapted to the system that we decided to play that he only had so many that he actually trusted to do it. And I think hopefully now he's brought in a few extra players, maybe to fit that system. Um, maybe now we'll see more rotation because there's 
there's there's time for those players that didn't adapt to adapt. We've obviously got those players that had adapted immediately, and now we've got some new ones as well uh, coming in to fit that system. So hopefully, I'd like to think that we continue how we did last year system wise, but just um, add a bit of uh, excitement with Doku, uh, you know, unpredictability. Uh, and also the, the dynamism from the back coming forward for Walker, because I'd love to see Walker bombing forward a little bit more. I remember watching him at Tottenham and um, I went out to uh, France to watch the Euros in, in 2016. I remember watching Walker come down the wing, down my side. I thinking, oh my God, I've never seen a player so fast in my life. You know, we signed him two seasons later and I've, I've rarely seen him run up the wing very much. It's just not really what he's done in our system. Um, he did one yesterday though, where he absolutely blistered up the wing. Do you remember that one? <laughs> It's great to see, you know, I really want to see him do more than that. There's nothing more exciting than seeing someone sprinting down the wing and then put a great ball in or like you saw for England, him getting in those positions to even get goals himself. So uh, I'm excited to see that. So, you know, a bit of added dynamism uh, compared to last season, new players to enable us to rotate. Um, now we've got a set system. Um, so I think hopefully that'll be the way it goes, that we've got more players to, to spread things around rather than it being like we know our back four, we know the midfield and we know the forwards because... There's not really the level on the bench to 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 keep the system. We we all know that Harlan is a you know an unusual player in that, well he's, he's a phenomenal player. Let's let's use that word rather than unusual. Uh, and we saw how unlucky perhaps he was at West Ham, particularly in the first half. Spectacular efforts, chances that normally he would have put it put away. I wonder whether Doku, uh, particularly. Uh, and what we've seen so far is the perfect player for him because with the absence of Kevin De Bruyne, there was a tendency last season to be obsessed with the sort of through ball, you know, and that, that Haaland would run onto the through ball. And now the option of a winger going to the byline and crossing, which wasn't always there with, with or isn't always there with Grealish, can be there when Foden plays on the left. He can do that a little bit. Um, and and certainly happened with Riyad Mahrez, who you know now has obviously moved on, but he had a little bit of that sort of get to the byline occasionally, not all the time, you know, and send a ball with his right foot into the penalty area. But adding that extra dimension of Doku might bring out more from from Harlan. But on, on the Harlan debate, I'd, I'd love to hear your comments on both of you on this and and, and see where we go with it. But you know, as, as great as he is, does he occasionally, and, and, and this is the guy who's the talisman now of selling season tickets, of selling tickets, of he is the global brand, um, Erling Haaland. You know, that's who everybody wants to come. Somebody told me, I don't know how true this is, you know, there's this massive waiting list now for tickets and it's all because of Haaland. But does Haaland occasionally have to be rested because you know, certain types of teams, certain types of matches, maybe the first half against West Ham, I don't know, you tell me. It, it Playing with this, you know, out-and-out out striker, which we've not had for till he came along for quite a while, because Aguero played in a slightly different way. You know, it, it, it does, does Haaland have to, for his own good, occasionally have to be rested? Shock horror. I think he does. I think every now and again, he will need that. But he, he tends to get those rests in the cup games, doesn't he? And um, if you're talking about doing it for a, from a tactical point of view, I don't really see why we would want to do that, given we're now building ourselves around having a striker on the pitch. I think like the system that we ended up with last season was very much geared to getting the best out of Haaland. And you see like um, us 
playing with Alvarez uh, sort of behind the striker at the minute is he's literally on the pitch to make sure the midfield is connected to Haaland. It's all about how do we get players close to Haaland. Doku has been brought in so we can add a different, like you said, a different uh, angle to the crosses that are coming in. I wish Sterling would have stayed because he could have been, a, he would be brilliant with a striker um, up top, I, I'd have felt. Um, so I think, yeah, you, you need, you know, those, those sort of players to, to do that, yeah. So everything really revolves around Haaland, both off the field and on the field, by the sounds of it. What do you think, Adam? Uh, I think if he's fit to play, he can play. Um, I mean, for everything I hear about him is that he lives he lives like a very serious professional and he's, you know, his diet is closely monitored at the club and he has good sleep habits and all this sort of thing. So if he's fit to play, he can play. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest thing so far uh, that's if, if I was looking for, for things to worry about, isn't even the goals. I think we've probably top scored in that division for the last decade, haven't we? We will score 130 or 150 goals like we do every year. But I was a little bit concerned. I thought we got we got opened up pretty easily a couple of times yesterday by West Ham, who I don't think are as great a side as everyone says. Um, so I'm just I'm I'm more interested in uh, in keeping it tight at the back really than worrying about who's going to score the goals because we've got so many goal scorers. I don't see that as being a problem whoever's on the pitch. Yeah, I must admit, at the press conference on Friday, somebody mentioned about Haaland taping up his mouth when he goes to sleep yeah, yeah. to make him breathe through his nose at night or something because it's supposedly more healthy. And you, you watch a player on the pitch, perhaps I'm a bit old-fashioned here, and you think, how's that going to actually make any difference to how you play? Yeah, <laughs> and apparently he's got them all wearing light-emitting light masks or something when they go to bed to help them sleep deeper or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it's it's a, it's a conundrum, and it's certainly. I mean, he's the player now, isn't he? I mean, when you when you're at a game, Adam, you. Must, I mean, I know. Well, I'm talking to both of you here, really, because you both called Adam anyway. But you know, when when you're in when you're in the standing section, which is where you are, right, really, Adam W. You don't get as many occasional visitors, tourists, whatever, however you want to use them. But do you sense when you're at the game that everybody's there to see Harland these days? Um. Not as much where I am, but I, like like you said, I imagine if you were elsewhere in the ground, you'd be likely to see that. Although, I, I, the people that I tech on a you know one off basis, if, if one of the lads can't make it, they want to see a Harland goal. You know, um, had uh, my godparents' uh, kids uh, come over from Australia uh, on two separate occasions last season, and it's like, oh, we want to see a Harland goal, and I was so excited and glad that they got to come over and see a Harland goal, because I imagine that's the first thing they get asked when they get home, it's like, oh, did Harland score? Um, and I imagine that's the same with, with tourists around, even around the UK, people coming to watch City. So, yeah, I, do, I don't I do see it um, with the regular supporters, I see all the time, obviously, because we it's not something that we're that bothered about. As long as we're winning, we, we don't really mind. Um, but people that I do speak to who come on the one-off game, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm glad I saw Haaland score. And I'm glad for people when he does score, because I think a lot of people here are willing for him to score. So, yeah, I do see it, yeah. I can relate to that, because I've been on holiday in the past in the sort of Barcelona area and gone to watch a Barcelona game. And uh, you go to one, you go to one game. This was before... City became what they are now, so it wasn't. It was a bit more of a novelty, if you like, and it was the beginning of Messi and Ronaldinho. Uh, Ronaldinho um, starting to emerge, and you go to a game. You, go, I hope they score today. You know, I want to see a, I want to see Messi dribble and score one in the top corner. So there is that element to it. Um, maybe 
for you, the other Adam, uh, you presumably when you're there, you're at different, you're in different parts of the ground. So you see everybody there. And you, I, I'm certainly surrounded by people who are absolutely fixated on, on Erling Haaland. He's a phenomenon, isn't he? Well, yeah, I think last year, this time last year, I would have definitely agreed with you. And I was even starstruck myself by him. The first few times I saw him, he, he just seemed enormous. He seemed like the jolly green giant just strutting around the stadium. I don't know if it's just because I've got used to him or not now, but uh, I just see him as one of the team really now. The player that I, I'm i the most excited about is the one we've not mentioned yet, is, is Guardiola. I just think he looks an absolute incredible player. When he stands next to Diaz, he looks like Diaz. He plays like Diaz. When he stands next to Rodri, he plays like Rodri. I just think there's nothing that guy can't do. And uh, I think he's going to be the big global star in 10 years' time, as much as Haaland. One of the great skills of Rodri, who really is purring like a Rolls-Royce at the moment, is that he is superbly two-footed. Um, and I don't just mean he can use both feet, but his balance is... It, as a, as, a, as a player, I mean, you, you look at, let's say, Julian Lescott, and this is not having a go at Julian Lescott, it's just an observation, but Julian Lescott is very one-sided. Everything is it's like what or was, you know, as a player. One side of his brain, his one side of his body was what he used to play football. It feels to me as if Rodri is completely, you could cut him right down the middle and you could almost not be sure whether he's right-footed or left-footed. And one of the things that surprised me about Gvardiol in the early watching of him is that I thought he was going to be very one-sided. And actually, I've seen that balance. This is the early stages, admittedly, but that balance in him as well. Yeah, and what I'd say as well is with Roderick, Roderick has that magic that David Silva has where, where he's he's a very, he's, he's so aware of the perfect amount of time to hold the ball. He never looks hurried. And he'll always release the ball just at the exact last millisecond before he gets into trouble with it. And it makes it look like he's got all the time in the world on the ball. And I saw a bit of that in Guardiola as well yesterday. I thought for a, for a supposed centre-back or left-back or whatever he's supposed to be, he just seems to be incredibly self-confident on the ball and just, just seems to have all the time in the world. He's become sort of City's key player at the moment in the absence of De Bruyne and Agunduan and somebody else like that. Because, you know... What one of the thing, thought my thoughts in the first time half at West Ham was that when they had two lines quite tightly packed, the low block as people call it, and the, the gaps weren't that big, you would have expected a Gundogan or a, a through ball by De Bruyne, or and everybody's hoping that that will be folding now going forward, that they can weave their way. It might have been David Silver in the past, weave their way through into those gaps. Now that isn't what Rodri is. He brings diff a different skill set. But it, it does feel to me as if we're completely going through Rodri in that creative process. Now, I'm sure that'll change once everybody's fit. Um, but right now, there is quite a reliance on Rodri. I mean, if he was to, to get injured, I think of all the players that are in City's team at the... Well, maybe Harlan is the other exception, but... He would be the most devastating one to lose. And he, he played every game last season pretty well. And he said he can't do it again this year. But at the moment, he is, isn't he? And we've got this period now where every three days there's another game. I guess the Newcastle game in the League Cup might be the exception. But essentially, it's going to be every three days now till the next international break. You know, how how important is, is Rodri to you, Adam W.? Oh, yeah, he's the most important player on the pitch to me, 100%. And it's crazy how he is traditionally a defensive midfielder. 
And yet, when he's in those positions to make a great dinking pass like he did yesterday or to take a shot like he did two weeks ago, the quality's there regardless. It's almost like he's a very capable number eight, just as he is a number six. And also as a defender as well, when he, when he is called upon, he he's absolutely crucial to the team. And it does worry me that he has said that he can't play this many games, but for City to repeat a treble, I think he would have to play the same amount of games again this season. So I think it's either going to be he plays the same amount of games or we just or we don't win the treble. I just don't I don't see a situation where we win as many games as we did last year if he isn't playing in as many as he did. I just I just don't see it. And Phillips hasn't lived up to you know expectations. He, he's still well. He he seems to be frozen out by Guardiola now. And the other players that we've brought in don't appear to be natural Rodri replacements. Kovacic doesn't appear to be a six. Um, Nunes looks more like a Bernardo Silva to me. Um, so I, I don't. I feel like we haven't really got a Rodri. Um, and maybe we're going to move further to not having a, such a solid six. Maybe the, the, the new Rodri is the way that we want to go. Maybe that's why we were going for, for Rice as well, because Rice isn't a traditional six. He, he's a real go-between between a six and an eight. So perhaps that Rodri role has changed and um, we maybe Kovacic can become that because it's not quite a solid six anymore. So hopefully he can fill in for that gap, but I can't see Phillips doing it because Pep doesn't really back him. So um, yeah, a long way of getting to it, but I think it's very worrying for me because I just feel like if Rodri doesn't play those many games, we will not have a repeat of last season. The trouble with the the, uh, Calvin Phillips conundrum is that, you know, you use the expression frozen out and you're not the only one. I've heard a lot of people say that sort of thing. Um, and I don't think he's so much frozen out as to get into that team, you have to leave Rodri out or you have to, you know, make an adjustment. Uh, and I mean, my son's not massively a fan of Calvin Phillips um, and a, a few people have, have questioned the signing even at the beginning, even though he was such a key player for Leeds. Um, but I don't see Calvin Phillips as as it's not so much it, it not it's not so much his weakness that we're discussing here. It's the fact that there's such strength in that position. I mean, John Stones effectively is a contributor to that position once he's fit again. Um, you mentioned Kovacic. You know that there are there are other players as well. So I'm not support. I, I don't think Pep is freezing him out. It's like. But if I am weakening my team, if I bring him in, and why would I want to weaken my team? And ultimately, that's it. I mean, having talked about Doku and Grealish, one of the arguments that it's a it's a multi layered debate. That's why I love these debates. Well, one of the the debates is that Doku's coming because he adds a different dimension. The other one is that he's come in to put pressure on G- Jack Grealish to bring out the best of him. And Rodri playing like like he is puts pressure on Calvin Phillips to do whatever he's doing in training or whenever Pep's watching him to step up to that level. And it that is a hell of a level to reach. So it's not... It, Phillips might be playing very well. I didn't watch the England games. He might be playing very well, but just not at Rodri's level. That's the challenge he faces, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, he, that is that is the problem. Um <laughs> I I just don't think that from what I've seen from Guardiola at the start of the season, he, he you know he'd rather bring on the kids than Phillips, and that's where the frozen out thing came from me. You know the way I've just seen him be 
treated. It's almost as if Pep's trying to send him a message and go, you're not in my plans. I've seen you for a season. I don't think you're going to be good enough. So I'm going to make sure I show you that you're not going to have a chance. So you'll want to move away. And it looks like Phillips has just gone, no, I'm going to try my best to to stay in and, and you know, fair play to him. You, you know, you you're dead right. You're dead right, Adam, because at the press conference, he was asked a little bit about um, Phillips and he was asked more directly. He was asked whether... Phillips might have left during the summer and he said, yes, we'd considered that, but he wanted to stay and fight for his place. So a little bit like Zinchenko did, there was a point when Zinchenko almost went and he said, no, no, I'm staying and fighting and he got into the team. So I guess the follow-up question to that is, do you think Phillips can force his way into this team and do you believe he can be good enough to to be part of this superb City team? Yeah, I think he can. I we saw how good he was at the Euros at a really high level. He was England's best player um, at, at the Euros. Um, he looked good at Leeds till he got injured. Um, and then those injuries have obviously carried over to his City career and, and stopped him from progressing last season. He just needs those opportunities. He needs to be playing every single cup game. He needs to be playing the Carabao Cup and then the FA Cup when it comes around. He needs to be playing when Rodri's not fit enough because if Rodri's saying that he can't, be playing as many games as he, as he can, as he as he as he might have done last season, then we're going to need someone to step in for the good of the team. There's no good in forcing Rodri to be exhausted because then at the end of the day he's going to be knackered by May. So we actually, for the good of the team, need Phillips to come into it. Um, so yeah, it would drop the level, but over a season it perhaps would try and you know maintain the level rather than allow it to fall off later on in the year. So in short, I do think. He's got the capability to, you know, develop into the team, but he's going to need time on the pitch to do that. And it feels like every time he plays at the moment, there's all eyes on him and maybe he feels that because he doesn't get his opportunity very often. So he feels like he needs to take it. Maybe he tries too hard or I almost feel like his passes are overweighted at times. Maybe he is just trying too hard. Um, he just needs to be more comfortable. And that comes with game time. So he's going to need to take his chances in the Cups because he's not going to get it in the Premier League. You think he's got a chance of forcing his way in, then, uh, Adam P. Phillips? No, I don't. I think I think Pepper's decided it, it, it was a bad buy, and I just don't. I just don't see a future for him. I, I know. I know this talk is that we wanted him to go, and he didn't want to go. But if we're not going to play him, we, we, we've got to find a way out for him. I mean, Pep quite clearly doesn't rate him. He'll he'll bring anybody on ahead of him. Um, what what I don't understand is why. So you know why if Rodri. Wants to if if Pep wants Rodri to start every game or every big game or nearly every game, why he's not managing his minutes more when we go when we go two goals up? Why he's not taking him off and wrapping him up in cotton wool a bit and and bringing somebody like Phillips on or a youngster on or Nunes or whoever it might be? Um, Nico Lewis seems to be part of that equation, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm hoping I'd love to see him. I think he's got he'll get much more game time this season, I would say, than Calvin Phillips. I just don't see any way back for Calvin Phillips, if I'm honest. And that's not me judging him because I genuinely have no opinion on him because I've never seen him play really. <laughs> we'll come back to current city in a moment or two, but it's time now to sort of meet my guest for this week, uh, Bob Taylor, Robert Taylor. Now, Adam W. Uh, your memory of the 1999 playoff final is what you presumably watched it on on video. Uh, yes, I have seen it. I've seen a documentary about it. I've seen interviews about it. My dad's told me about it. Um, you know, he stayed till the end, thank God, and didn't didn't go home. I, I, my uncle uh, and his friends, so they were all there and told me about it. So yeah, I've got all like the the, the legacy of it um, told to me over the years. 
Um, I was what nineteen ninety nine. I was in a pram. Um, I was left. I was at home with my mum. Uh, <laughs> when my dad went to the game, so yeah, I, I just know of it obviously because of how, I know I know how important it is. It was drilled into me how important it was, and I've heard. Uh, in you know numerous interviews about how close the club was to the brink of you know bankruptcy if we hadn't gone up we'd have continued in that division etc and everything was riding on us going up so I, I certainly know how important it is and, and how iconic it is and it does even uh, as a fan who wasn't there at the time you watch it and it's quite emotional to watch because you know how important it is and how important to the guy, the guys in the stands it was so yeah I, I'm fully aware of it but yeah sadly I wasn't there. <laughs> I was there. I was there. I know the significance of it. And some, I was only having a conversation at West Ham yesterday with somebody. We were talking about what's your favourite City game. Now, if you'd have asked me that sort of 20 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever, I probably would have said the 5-1 against uh, United at Main Road when Angie Inchley put five fingers up, uh, you know, and, and all the rest of it. And And you would have been... It would have been easier to pick a favourite game. Now, there are so many, you know, Istanbul, Aguero, uh, Night 12, you know, even the, the Aston Villa one, uh, 6-1 at Old Trafford. Blimey, there, there are endless games now. that you, Real Madrid, you know, there are, there are so many great games that you could sort of look back on. But I still think that that 99 game was such a significant match, which I'm assuming, Adam P., um, you look old enough to have remembered that. I was there, yeah. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be right in the corner where Nicky Weaver was celebrating at the end. And they, he he said when he was on that the reason he was in that corner is because that's where his family was sat. So luckily enough, I was right there. So I was very immersed in it. Yeah. And it was um still is one of the favourite games of a lot of City fans, even though the reality is, which you probably have a bit more of a distant view of it, Adam W, but the game was not actually a great game. A bit like maybe the game out in Istanbul wasn't the best of games, but it had the, the results at the end of it and all the emotion. But that playoff final wasn't that great, Adam, was it? Well, it was a shocker, wasn't it? And I think, um, I mean, the, the one thing that I do remember in terms of the quality of the game was that the, the extra time, nobody was even really watching the game for extra time because it was so dour. Once it had gone to 2-2 and into extra time, it was like we already knew it was going to be penalties and everyone was just waiting, waiting for the penalties to arrive. <laughs> well, what... Let, let, for those who, who weren't there, who weren't part of it, and even I, um, to a certain extent, you remember the key moments. You hear Kevin Horlock, you remember Kevin Horlock scoring, you remember the dick-off goal, you remember the penalties and all the rest of it. But would you have remembered that Bob Taylor actually scored Gillingham's second with three minutes of normal time to go? So that's the point when everybody... Not me and Adam, obviously, but when a lot of people started flooding out of this, and your dad, but you know that that's when everybody started flooding outside the stadium. I think uh, Noel and Liam Gallagher and and people they were all halfway to the tube, you know, and and it was into stoppage time when Harlock got one back, Dickoff scored the goal, but Bob Taylor nearly stopped City going up, nearly sent City bankrupt. Um, that that summer. He signed for City. And, and and here are the stats. This is remarkable, really. When you look at Bob Taylor, who's born in Norwich, is that the team he played the most games for was Brentford. He played uh, 61 games for Gillingham, scoring 33 goals. He was a definitely prolific goal scorer at that particular time. And City signed him for one season, 12 appearances, five goals. But he's remembered 
a lot more than that by City fans because some of them gave him stick and whatnot. His career then sort of went to various loan deals, Grimsby, Scunthorpe and whatever. And these days, he's the chairman of Watton United. Watton United is the, the team he also played, I'm uh, sorry, managed briefly for. Now, he's not somebody I've heard being chatting really about City, uh, but I managed to track him down and, and asked him if he'd do an interview. And, and he was very honest in his appraisal, I think, of his time, his contribution to Gillingham and to City. So we're going to hear that interview now. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, so this is Bob Taylor talking about his time at City and Gillingham. Well, Bob, thanks very much for, for joining us. Um, you have a, a unique story, really, because of your history with Manchester City for and against. Um, when you look back at your yeah. time, obviously played for, for Gillingham against City in that notorious playoff final, which was such a big part of City's history, and then became yeah. a blue yourself. Do you think back with happy memories or how do you look back on it all? Um, yeah, happy memories. You know, I'm glad I got to play for one of the clubs I used to sort of like follow as a kid you know I didn't support Man City as such but I um, used to follow how they used to get on because it was such a big club at the time you know as I was growing up and um, you know it was just nice to uh, play for a club of, of that stature. What, what was the the experience of playing against City like then in that playoff final because it was I mean people still look back on that despite all the success that the club have had in recent years as a pivotal moment and, and one of the best moments really of being a city fan for a certain generation. And you tried to spoil it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did try to spoil it. <laughs> um the, the the thing is that I mean you're playing for a club and you try and give your all for the football club you're playing for. Um it's one of them days where we were the underdogs. And um, you know, it's 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 you know, a surreal day for everybody. I think for every City fan as well, a surreal day for them. You know, they never thought they'd be 2-0 down, you know, in the 90th minute and then score two late goals to get to 2-2, two -two, you know, because I think half the City fans left the ground. Um, but as soon as they got the first goal, you see them all run back in again. It's quite, quite funny, really. Um, but, you know, see, that's football, you know, you're there to try and enjoy it. And um, the passion was there from both, you know, sets of supporters. You know, Gillingham fans were superb on the day, you know, turned out in their thousands and, you know, just a great atmosphere and a great game to be involved in. Did you feel that Gillingham were less nervous that day, that the pressure was on City or how did you approach it? Um, we, were, we were nervous because you're walking out of Wembley, everyone's nervous. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, we thought because the squad we had, all right, we weren't the best team in the world, but we were hard to get beat, you know, hard to be beaten. And so we went out there and thought to ourselves, come on, boys, roll our sleeves out. Give us a good, good account of yourselves as we can. If we come away with dignity, basically, that kind of thing, you know, we haven't got nothing to lose. And, um, you know, just well, just look at the squad we had. I just thought we might have had a chance of winning the game uh, or forcing it to, to extra time or something like that. But to go to penalties and lose as well after being 2-0 up, it, it was devastating on the day. It just was for, for the football club and for the players. Tony Pulis was your manager at that time and obviously he's come up against uh, City at other stages in his career. Um, he's gone on to, or went on to have a fantastic career as a manager. What was yeah. he like then as a boss? Um, he's a tough man. He'll let you know if you weren't, 
you know, playing the way you wanted you to play. Um, also, he'd put an arm around you and support you. And any off-the-field problems you had or anything like that, he's there for you. Um, you know, he's he had a great... You just wanted to play for him. He just had that, you know, that way of dealing with players the right way. You know, there's not one player can turn around and say, I hate being involved, even when you're not playing. You know, he's still been nice to... You, always, you know, if you're injured or whatever... You know, you come and see the boys in treatment every day. You know, come and see how they are. They could be reserve team players. You'll be straight in the in the you know fitness room saying, "You guys are right. How long you'll be? We've got a resi game on um um Wednesday. Hopefully, you'll be fit for that." You know, he weren't like just football uh first team football players. He was reserve team players, youth team players. He was, you know, there all the time for everybody. So you you knew just being a first team player, looking at him talking to the younger players, he thought he said, Yeah, he's the right man for the job for the, for this football club. You know, and that's why that's why he's gone on and done well wherever he's been. I've talked to every single member of the city side that day. I've talked to Tony Pulis, I've talked to Joe Royal, I've talked yeah. to Mark Halsey, the referee, and they've all given yeah. me their perspectives. But I've never actually spoke to somebody who is playing for Gillingham. Yeah. So two nil up. Um, you must have thought the game was done, and but when Kevin Horlock pulled one goal back, did that that feel like the turning point, or did you still think you could hang on at that stage? Well, there's sort of like two goals there that were like blocks and ricocheted to someone, and it, Kevin finished it, you know, with an open goal basically, slotted the ball in, and then the one with Paul Dickoff as well got a deflection off Adrian Pennock and took it into the roof of the net past Vince Bartram. So when that happened, it was one of them days where you think it's not going to be our day now. You know, um, things happened to Man United the week before, didn't it? In the Champions League final or in the wherever it was then, the European Cup final, wherever it was called. You know, they were one nil down with three or four minutes to go and scored two late goals. So the sun was shining on Manchester that week, you know. And um, it, it's just, it's just, you know, we were glad to be there. We were glad to play there. We were, you know, we, we were, you know, very upset that obviously because we lost the game, devastated we lost the game. And we're a very subdued team, but... At the end of the day, forget there how we got there and how we performed that season was incredible. And then the following season, obviously, I played to the October and signed for City. And the, the Gillingham went up in the end. It just shows what kind of squad they had. They could just push on uh, and get promoted again. You know, some clubs finish in a relegation battle. I remember being, I remember being at Brentford and losing at Crew at Wembley one nil in the playoff final. And in the following season, we lost about six or seven players to Gillingham and um, ended up getting relegated that season. You know, and it's just amazing. From a, and it just shows the players what were at the time were good players and wanted to win games of football you obviously must have impressed City because as you say you ended up at Main Road yeah. um, how did that move come about and what did it mean to you personally um, I'd, I had quite a few clubs after me at the time and I just remember someone saying to me I think I can't remember someone in the club said to me oh, we've had some interest from Man City this is in the February and I said, all oh, right, OK, sort of thing. Didn't think nothing of it. I just kept playing football and all that. And there was speculation. There was other clubs after me and this kind of thing. I had Hearts in Scotland. I had Spurs that were interested as well at the time. Just I was just on a, on a streak of enjoying my football. And when you're enjoying your football and playing for a manager that you respect and want to play for, that's the biggest thing ever as a player. And, it, you know, when I first went to Gillingham, I was... I didn't do a pre-season at Brentford when I signed from Gillingham. I... um um. I had a, had a Achilles tendonitis, so I didn't train at all. And I just remember going. I remember signing for Gillingham and started playing, training for two days. Ended up playing the first league game of the season. After after twenty minutes, I was thrown up on the side of the pitch. 
and they, they were saying what a waste of money and all this kind of thing. But they didn't realise what had happened leading up to it. I just thought we signed, we done a pre-season, I've done that kind of thing. Anyway, it took me six or seven games to get going, and once I started scoring goals and getting myself fit, I started scoring goals, and I finished with Player of the Year. So it's all about believing in yourself and also having the back. If, if you've got if you've got supporters who turn around and if you're doing badly and support you, you feel good in yourself. But when you get supporters shouting abuse at you during the game, your confidence levels don't go anywhere, just stay as they are and you just become a worse player than you know than you are. You know, and than you should be. And it's it's one of them where you've got to try and get round that. You know, I had a tough time at City when I come because it's all new. I was playing for a big club and basically I'll shit my pants, basically. Um, if I can say that. Um, and I didn't think I was good enough to play uh for the club like that. And I just had all going through my mind when I signed and in the end, I was like panicking, but I suddenly grew, I think I grew into it a little bit and took my time to get going a little bit playing for them. But I thought I did okay in the end. Um, but I was looking forward to the season, the Premiership season. I started all the pre season games, I was playing really well with George Weir up front, we were scoring goals, I was enjoying it. And then my wife turned around and said she was unhappy up north. Um, so when I saw Joe Warren, he turned around and said, well, Look, we don't want you to go anywhere. He said, We want you to stay, you've done really well pre season. Um, and um, if we get accept an offer for you, what you pay for, then we'll have to go because your family comes first. Anyway, about two hours later, he rang me up and said, Wolves have put an offer in for me. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to go really. I didn't want to leave because I wanted to give it a good crack and see if I was, I was any, you know, good enough to play with the players, which I thought I did pre-season was, you know, it's the first time I'd done a full pre-season. I was really fit. And um, it was a shame really that I had to move further south because I just wanted to get out. Even if I didn't get in the team or squad or whatever, at least I'd give it a good go of getting in there. And, um, you know, and I signed for Wolves and I just had injuries after injuries at Wolves and I had to finish my career. I had to, I had to call it a day. You've been really honest and open about uh, your time at City, which is very refreshing, really. Uh, and I suppose regret's the wrong word, but um, I don't know what other word to say. I mean, do you regret going to City? Do you wish that hadn't happened? Or do you just think it was down to bad luck that, that people never saw the best of, of Bob Taylor? Um, I don't regret going to City at all. You know, I've, I've um, you know, it's one of the highlights of my career. You know, I've played some good clubs, uh, been around some good players and uh, met some, you know, but it's all about making friends as you go along in the game. You know, I've played with so many players in my time. I've played against so many players and I still, still speak to some of them now. And it, it's just it's just amazing that you can go think, talk talk back, you know, chat about the times you had at places, you know. And I'm, I'm glad I played 17 years with a professional footballer because it's, you know, you, you, thousands and thousands of players, young players want to be professional footballers. And I had the opportunity to be one of them. And um, all you have to, I have to do is just try my best, you know, and that's all you can do. And if it isn't good enough, you know, and then you're not good enough, basically. And, you know, you can only try your best. Sometimes you try too hard uh, when you should relax more and enjoy the game more. But when you're trying to impress a new manager, new supporters, new team players, you try too hard sometimes. Um, but I really enjoyed it. You know, it was a good experience for me. I wish it had been longer and wish I could have showed more than what I could do. I think some games I'll show a glimpse of what I can do. Um, but I just had just just little niggly injuries I had, which coming to the end of my career was just playing me all the time. I try to play through injuries some games um, just, just so I can play um, and, and be involved. And 
every player wants to play every Saturday afternoon and every Tuesday night when there's games on midweek and it's just you just wanted to play and it doesn't matter if you've got a little niggly injury you want to play anyway so it's just it's one of them where you could have turned around and said no I'm not ready but you just want to play games you played in one of the most significant games in City's history albeit on the wrong side yeah <laughs> um, but you've also played for the club so you are once a blue always a blue when you look yeah. at City now, the modern Manchester City. What do you think? I mean, obviously, they're world-dominating at the moment, aren't they? They are. It's amazing. I mean, going back to that Birmingham game, the, the Friday night game, the last home game of the season that night, and um, I've never been so scared in my life. I know I scored the goal that night, but I've never been so scared. But I think that's one of the better games I've played, I think. Um, I should get scared more often. Um, but it's one of them where the pressure was on you to win the game of football. You, We had to win that night. And um, I luck luckily enough, I, had to, I stuck it through about three or four uh, people's legs, I think, for it to go in the bottom corner. But I always taught, put the ball back where it come from. So I did. Um, so, um, you know, that's just a hell of a night for me. It's just so much a relief for me that night. Um, and um, just the boys, you know, performances at Blackburn as well. We went up, it was amazing. But now they've just gone from there. They've gone up from there. You know, they've um, progressed. You know, people turn around and said, "Oh, they've they've bought loads of players, bought this, that, and the other." But not you got. It doesn't matter what money you got. You could buy the best players in the world. If they're not not a team, then you're not going to get anywhere. Not going to get anywhere. Look at Chelsea at the moment. You know, they've bought everything going. They spent loads of money, and they're struggling. You know, and um, you've got to have someone who could work with these players and build a side with them players that they've got. What he's got in front of him. You know, you could have the best centre backs in the world. You could have best right backs, left backs. But they don't want to run around and tackle and get back in and work and do the ugly side of the game. Then you've got no chance. And that comes down to the manager working with them, making better players. Well, it, it, it's obviously great to speak to you, Bob. And uh, you were part of Manchester City. As I say, once a blue, always a blue. And you're still very much involved in football. And you, uh, yeah. from the sounds of it, you're still trying to give back to football because you're yeah. down at relatively grassroots level yeah. as well. Yeah. Tell us what you're doing these days and the club that you're at. Well, Watton United Football Club I'm chairman of at the moment. It's just a, it's a, it's a club that used to be quite playing at quite reasonable local level. It's gone down the wayside since I was a kid. I played from I grew up playing for Watton itself. I played the first team there when I was fourteen. That was when you could play first team football, men's football back then at that age. And um, we were, you know, we used to have eight to eight hundred to a thousand people watching on a Saturday afternoon. You know, they were quite a big club. And now they've slipped about four divisions down. So after they were going to fold it up two years ago. Two September's coming up to uh, two years this September, end of this month. And I stepped in and I turned, like we turned it around as a committee. With it's eight new members on the committee, we're driving the club forward. We've, we've got loads of boards around the ground, and which they only need about two or three. We've got about forty or fifty round now. We've got two little stands being built now around the ground. We've got floodlights up, and it's just it's going from strength to strength. So hopefully we can push the club forward and get out of the leagues we're in and get up to where they should be. And you never know, you know, we might get someone who turns around and say to us, here, I'll chuck 40 or 50 grand in each year for you. That's, that's a bit of a, you know, I'm putting it out there, right? <laughs> we need we need, we need, need more sponsors in. We need more help with the club. We need some people to come and invest in us as a club because we're, we're doing well. We got promoted last year. Um, so in our first year, actually, we always settled down as a football club. And we just want to, I just want it to do well, you know, for the town as well here. Well, congratulations on what you're doing. I'm a big believer in yeah. grassroots football. Yeah. It's not just about the city and it's not just yeah. about the teams at the top. So yeah. great for you to talk to me and to talk to me so openly as well. You played okay. for City. You are a blue. And yeah. you know what? It's great to be a blue, isn't it? 
It is, yeah. <laughs> it is. That was Bob Taylor. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that interview. I'll put a video version of that up on my YouTube channel at some point as well. And uh, next week on the podcast, by the way, we mentioned Nicky Weaver and, you know, his his family being sat near Adam P in the ground and everything. Hopefully, um, uh, diary allowing, Nicky Weaver will be our guest on the podcast uh, next week. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Oh, it's always entertaining to listen to. So we've talked about, uh, you know, the West Ham game. We've talked about uh, City now. Uh, next up, it's uh, Red Star Belgrade at home. We've seen what the Champions League group is. It's uh, like Red Bull Leipzig. It's young boys of Switzerland, who to me are a little bit of an unknown factor, but Switzerland sometimes surprise countries, you know, in, in, in international football. Uh, obviously, a kanji we know is, uh, you know, is an international. Um, is this group something that you're worried about, Adam P? That you know, starting off with the home game against, I can see straight away because we record this on Zoom, shaking of the head, very casual, very arrogant. City fans are so arrogant these days, aren't they? I'm only joking, by the way, Adam. No, I am pretty arrogant about this group, to be honest. I, I don't see any, I don't see any problem with it. We 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 absolutely need, need to cruise through that group and get it sewn up as early as possible. Yeah, four. No. You you win the first four, then yeah. the last game in Red Star, which is we, we had uh, Andy on the podcast a few weeks ago, who was saying the last this was before the draw was made. By the way, the last team you want to draw is Red Star Belgrade. He's a Wales fan, and he said the experience out there when he went with Wales was terrible. I've since spoken to a journalist, by the way, um, who has been out there covering football. Who said it's a beautiful city, Belgrade. You know, you'll enjoy the the experience, but it depends whether you're going in colours, whether you, you you're sitting in a bar making yourself very obvious, or you're blending in, uh, you know, with the the local ambience. But certainly, Red Star Belgrade was was one of those that 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 he didn't want. But football wise, I don't think anybody's expecting City to struggle against. Any of those, those three teams, Adam W, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, we don't like to sound arrogant, but it looks like a Europa League draw, doesn't it, really, when you look at it. Um, I was so excited when I saw it. I just thought that's just exactly what we need, you know. Um, we tend to start slow in the season and you don't want to have tough Champions League games in between difficult um, Premier League games at the weekend to set us back, you know, um, particularly as we're trying to figure out our system. It might be a really good uh, way to get Phillips maybe into the team. I know he said they've got no chance, you know, maybe, maybe you can start Champions League games uh, after we've won the first few or whatever. Um, obviously, we can't take stuff for granted, so we'll start really strong, but then hopefully we can settle down uh, as the group sort of comes to a close and um, we'll be nice and comfortable. And it just means that we can rotate Rodri. Rodri doesn't need to play every single game in that group stage, whereas if we were to get a draw, you know, where we had a really difficult pot two opposition, um, then we might need to because um, if you were to get someone like uh, Real Madrid in pot two, then you're really battling out for that top spot. And it's not just the game against Real Madrid that matters, it's the games against the others to make sure that you're then in top seed to go into the draw for the next round. So having uh, not a really strong pot two opposition means that it does, none of the games matter as much. So uh, I think it's a real positive for us, and can hopefully we'll just sail through. But I don't know, we might be uh, <laughs> might be coming back to this podcast and laughing at ourselves if if teams surprise us, but hopefully not. It's interesting because we'll talk about this in a lot more depth, I'm sure, going forward. But the Champions League is going to change its structure, and we're talking at the moment about wanting to finish top so that you get the 
you know, the second leg and, and you, you're playing somebody who is a second, um, finished second in their group. I'm not quite sure, I admit that I'm not quite sure how it's going to work when the structure changes, but the top eight will go through in this league of 32. So you won't need, you can finish eighth, presumably, and still get what you want. So I don't know whether the dynamic of the Champions League changes, but um, the other game, I, I suppose, we should talk about, even though it's still more than a week away, and no doubt talk about it a little bit more next week, is the importance of the Newcastle game in the League Cup, um, which, interestingly, if City progress, um, I think... If I'm right, the quarterfinal of the League Cup coincides with the semi-final of the World Club Cup. So I would imagine that if City get to that stage, it'll be pretty much the EDS or youth team that plays whoever we play in that competition because the first team squad will have gone out to Saudi Arabia. Um, so I just wonder, does City go to Newcastle and think, you know what, let's start the competition as we mean to go along and play the EDS and rest everybody, you know, and I mean... Everybody, maybe Phillips gets a game, but pretty much everybody, uh, right from the word go, or or do you go for it up at Newcastle? I'd go strong at Newcastle, try and get through, and then hope that you get a draw that isn't as difficult as Newcastle in the next round, you know, because then you can play, you know, an EDS team in the next round, and if it's against, you know, the League One opposition or something like that, then you've got more of a chance of going through than if you were to put the kids out against Newcastle. So I think you go strong, get through, see how the draw, you know, see what the draw gives us and, and take it from there, really. So um, I, I love the Carabao Cup. You know, the years we've had of winning that at Wembley over and over again uh, have been some of the greatest days that I've had out watching City. So um, I'd love to see us go, go far in it. It'd be a real shame to sort of throw it away. We talked about tickets a lot last week on the podcast and obviously the you mentioned it before as well, getting tickets is is not always easy. Carabao Cup final is probably the the final that is the easiest, if that's the right expression, to get a ticket for. So I can see why that appeals to a lot of people. And actually on that subject, Adam, and by all means talk about Newcastle if you want, but you were listening to that last week. We had Mark Todd on from City Matters. You used to be on the City Matters committee and you made a comment to me after that, um, which I've forgotten now, I forgot what it was, but there's your platform. You had another concern, didn't you, about tickets? It wasn't necessarily a concern. It was just an, it was an interesting an interesting chat and... Um... It was just that when we when we were talking about re re you know rehauling the the ticket point system and we stopped the away points being awarded uh, you know to stop the people with the highest number just pulling away from everybody else um, and and that was that met a lot of resistance at first but then I think afterwards a lot of people have come to accept that it's probably worked out quite well. And uh, the same thing with the 18 to 25 allowance. I think a lot of people, you know, that, that that's reinvigorated the away support fairly well. Um, but then the next thing, which when I, when I, when I moved away from city matters that was supposed to be on the, on the agenda was the idea of actually um, loyalty points, not being permanent, but dying off. So for example, you might have a, a 10 year rolling points total, you know, um, and that means that, People who used to go to a lot of games but don't anymore don't stay at the top of the loyalty point system forever. Um, and that people who, maybe younger people who are coming through and starting to go to a lot of away games have got a chance of actually getting, you know, over time, getting up near the top. And yet I don't seem to have ever heard anything coming out of City Matters ever, about that ever since. That was all it was. 
I think mm. that'd be a great idea just to jump in. Um, you know, being a young fan, 24, um, season ticket holder, the chances of me getting an away ticket for any Premier League game is really, really slim. There's been a couple that I've been able to get to over the years, usually when fixtures are rescheduled or something like that. Um, or there would be ones like Brighton that I wouldn't be able to make the trip down to anyway. You know, they're the ones that aren't, aren't as popular, basically, obviously, because they get sold out. Um, but I do see... I see how someone who is like 45 years old, 50 years old, will have an unbelievable amount of ticket points compared to someone who's already been going for the past 10 years or whatever on their own, you know. I've been going as a child, but not a massive point. Uh, whereas people who are a lot older will have been doing. And if they are just keeping those points on their account, um, you know, they could carry on into the 70s and still have the points there on the website and then just keep flogging the tickets, giving them to whoever they want, even if they're not going themselves. Um, so, yeah, I do see that as, as being an issue, you know, and it will only get worse over the next 10, 20 years, as long as the, the, the system after it was reset just continues to go over the next decade or so. It's certainly There's an interesting, interesting point. Can... One interesting point about the ticket, the ticket point system is it was introduced in the first place to help shift away tickets that the club couldn't sell <laughs> when when days were very different than today. It wasn't it wasn't seen as a reward. It was it was an incentive to sell them to try and sell them. The price of success, eh? Mm. Um, right. Next up, of course, is uh, Red Star Belgrade next weekend at home to Nottingham Forest. Um, uh, I'll if you haven't watched the the vlog, by the way, from West Ham, Clem. Clive Wilson, another name from the past, superb left-back as well, by the way. Really, really silky left-back. Uh, bumped into him down at West Ham, so check it out. If, if only to see Clive Wilson, and he's promised to come on a, a podcast in the future as well. Uh, but thanks to the two Adams, um, and thanks to you for listening. Um, and, you know, keep spreading the word and tell people that to, to listen to the podcast, which is weekly. It's free. It's free to you because of sponsorship and and, and stuff. And hopefully in the non-too-distant future, um, I'll have a sponsor on this this podcast as well. Um, but but big thanks to, to people like Kenway Miller and Timson and RRG Group and people like that who've been supporting me uh, on the, the vlogs, which is very, very much appreciated. Uh, but more than anything else, you know, just just you know keep listening keep sharing keep retweeting doing all that sort of stuff um and make sure that as many people as possible even you know fans of other clubs because it'll rub them up the wrong way won't it uh listen and watch and all the rest of it because at the moment everything's going very very smoothly for city long may that continue uh, but even if it wasn't going smoothly one thing that will never change is my view that it's great to be a blue <laughs>